Thank you, praise team, for that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, we are a couple of weeks into just a short series where we're uh, working and thinking and talking through uh, the will of God, how d- to discern the will of God, know the will of God, obey the will of God. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul just in the first um, two verses here. And uh, I want to um, give you my conclusion uh, just up front, and I'll reiterate it when we work through the sermon together, and I believe this is reflected in your notes, but uh, this is what I hope we really walk away with uh, uh, after, after working through Romans chapter 12 this morning. This is my conclusion statement. People truly transformed by the renewal of their minds find pleasure in knowing God's revealed will, and I'll explain why I used revealed will, and obeying Him. I'm going to say that again. People truly transformed by the renewal of their minds find pleasure in knowing God's revealed will and obeying Him. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are eternally grateful for your word. God, that you spoke. You spoke to lowly creatures, God. And you used lowly creatures to document what you said, God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And God, not only that, but you've preserved your word. You've kept it pure in all ages so that we sitting here in the 21st century could read your word and actually have the confidence that we're hearing from you. So we thank you for this time, God, where we can... Quiet our minds, quiet our souls, and intake your word, Lord, as we read it and as we hear it preached this morning. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use it in a mighty way, Lord. We have confidence that your Holy Spirit will use it in a mighty way, God, because your word accomplishes your purpose. And so help us to see Christ this morning. Help us to savor Christ. We've done that now through the reading of your word, God. We've done that through singing, God. We've done that through praying, Lord. And now I pray as we approach the sermon that we would see and savor Christ as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you're taking notes, the first thing that I would have you see from Romans chapter 12 here is that our faith is practical. Our faith is practical. That's to, to say that, that it's, it's not without movement. It, 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 if you will, it has flesh in blood on it. it it's living. It's, it's vibrant. It's active. And in chapter 12 of Romans here, we, we really begin to see the practicality uh, of our faith. Because chapter 12 here, it, it marks a shift in Paul's letter to the Roman church from, from Romans chapter 1 around verse 18 all the way to the end of Romans chapter 11. Paul is working through and, and really reminding the Roman church here of these weighty gospel realities Realities like this, if you were to, to, uh, to read through it all in one sitting, and I would encourage that you do that, that would be a really good spiritual exercise, especially even on the Lord's Day, a really good special exercise. But, but the Apostle Paul, through chapters 1 all the way to chapters 11, he's reminding the Roman church of, of these weighty, eternal gospel realities like the fact that all men know that, that God exists through, through what's called general revelation. All men are, are without excuse, and it's, that, it's our unrighteousness that suppresses the truth and turns and serves the, the creator rather than the, or uh, turns and worships the, the creature rather than the creator. It reminds us of things like our lack of ability to save ourselves. Romans chapter 3 teaches us that, that no one seeks after God. Romans chapter 3 teaches us that that, that apart from the intervening work of the Holy Spirit, we reject God and we're content in our rejection of God. We've all turned aside. We've all gone astray. The Apostle Paul also teaches us that justific about justification by faith, and he teaches us about the free offer of the gospel. That's to say that, that we don't work to earn our salvation. We, we trust in the only one in Christ Jesus who had the capacity to obey for us, to fully meet the demands of the Father because He Himself is God and, and we're justified. We're put in right standing before God because of the actions of Jesus alone. The Holy Spirit awakens our hearts and, and we respond and our response is repentance and faith in Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul, he teaches us that, that, that God's absolutely sovereign over everything, including this great salvation that he's provided freely for us in Christ Jesus. He's authored this salvation. He's, he's sovereign over both the softening and the hardening of hearts. So we see that as a theme in the book of Romans. And we're also reassured in, in Romans 10 that everybody who trusts in Jesus won't be put to shame. We have that, that promise. And later on, we're... we're we're told that the gospel saves all types of people, saves Jews and Gentiles. Jesus is Lord over all people. And at the end of Romans 11, after working through some of these lofty, eternal gospel truths, the Apostle Paul, he does the only thing that, that makes any sense. He does the only logical thing that one could do after pondering uh, these weighty gospel realities, and, he, and that's that he worships. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33, the Apostle Paul, we see him bust out in praise. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then we come to chapter 12. And in this journey of Romans 1 through 11 that, that led Paul to worship and, and, and should lead us to worship also leads to this very practical encouragement from, from the Apostle Paul. If you've read the book of Romans, you know that chapters 12 through 16, they're, they're immensely practical. They're immensely practical. If, if in Romans 1 through 11, Paul's pressing in on what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, then Romans chapter 12 through 16 contains how we live in response to that gospel reality. Our faith is, is a practical faith. It's, it's not a faith that, that remains in in the academies, it doesn't lack a concreteness to it. The, the doctrine that the Apostle Paul works through in this letter, if worshipfully considered, leads to a, a observable devotion to God. And the God who, who, who put on flesh and stepped into this world and lived among us and, and suffered among us and died among us and bodily rose has rescued us to a, a very practical, get-your-hands-messy kind of faith. Right? We, we aren't reconciled to God so that, that we can live passive in this life. If that were the case, Christ wouldn't have commissioned the disciples before his ascension. If we weren't meant to, to live in response to this glorious gospel, certainly we would have no purpose beyond being reconciled to God. But biblical writers like James, he, he speaks to the practicality of our faith. James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right, that's what this series is about. It's, it's about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. And, and because this whole series is, is about the will of God, discerning the will of God, knowing the will of God, obeying the will of God, um, and, and because every passage that we're going to work through is really about that thing, uh, I, I wanted to give you um, something that I actually originally put at the conclusion of your notes, and, and the more I thought through this sermon and wrestled with it, I want to give it to you up front. So this is found at the bottom of your notes, but I want to talk about how, just for a moment, God has two wills. Biblically speaking, God has two wills. He has a revealed will, and he has a, a uh, what's called a secret or a hidden will. And, um, and so in 
uh, the, your blank, what you would fill in is the first is on letter A, revealed will, there at the bottom of your notes. And, and what I want to do is, is I, I want us to work through this sermon together in light of these two definitions rather than just concluding with these two definitions. But the revealed will of God is this. It's God's expectation of us revealed in Scripture. God's expectation of us revealed in Scripture. Right? God's revealed will it's all over the place in the Scripture. Places like 1 Thessalonians 4.3, I think we have that up on the screen, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And the passage goes on. We, uh, every passage that we're going to cover in this series over the month of January is working through the revealed will of God. James chapter 1 speaks to the revealed will of God. We should be doers of the word, the revealed will of God. It's not a mystery. It's not something that we need to delay our obedience on. The revealed will has been documented in Scripture, and it's practical, and it's unchanging, and it's for us to do in light of the finished work of Christ Jesus. And then there was, there's what theologians call the secret or the hidden will of God. And that's those mysteries of God's eternal decree that belong to him. And they belong to him alone. And we don't understand them and we don't know them. Those mysteries of God's eternal decree that belong to him alone that we do not understand or know. And we see Moses uh, speak of this will in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says, the, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And, and I've found, and the reason why this is important, even though it probably feels a little seminary-like, but the reason this is important is, is believers will oftentimes neglect uh, God's revealed will in, attempt to, in an attempt to try to figure out uh, or ponder His, his secret will. Uh, uh, and, 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 and we end up delaying our obedience to those things which God's clearly communicated to us in Scripture. And so what we're talking about through this series is God's revealed will. And according to Romans 12, we desire to know God's revealed will, and we desire to do God's revealed will when our minds are renewed, minds that, that have been washed by the cleansing blood of Christ Jesus, minds that have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit, minds that the Father ordained before the foundation of the earth to be interested in holy matters. And so we're going to work through what's called the revealed will of God, and we're going to work through this Romans 12 passage. But that's just something to hold in your mind, not just through this sermon, but through the next couple of sermons that we work through here in the month of January. Second, Biblical transformation begins with gratitude toward God for the gospel. Biblical transformation begins with gratitude toward God for the gospel. Right, you, you have to teach a kid to say thank you, right? If you're a parent, your kid doesn't just, he, he's not, he or she's not just born and uh, comes out with, man, I thank you, mom, for going through 47 hours of labor. That, that was that was very thoughtful of you to bring me into this world. And as they, they grow, they, uh, they're, they're not, uh, as a, a three-year-old, uh, coming to you with just these, you know, I know you've had a long day at work. Um, I'm a little hungry. 
but I can wait because I can see that you're tired. We, we don't have kids that think that way. They have to be taught to think that way, right? They have to be taught to be selfless. They have to be taught to have gratitude. We teach kids to say thank you. But even in teaching them to say thank you, we can't change their hearts, right? We can't give them a, a heart of gratitude. And, and we live in a culture, right, that, that lacks gratitude, don't we? We live in a culture that lacks gratitude, and not just the, an unbelieving culture, not just those out there, but, but let's, because we're Christians in this room together here on the Lord's Day, let's keep it focused on us. Our Christian culture lacks gratitude, right? We do. We lack gratitude. Social media, for those of you on it or know about it, but it's become a, a bit of a window into our souls, I think. Some of the, the, the biting, harsh things that, that, that we post online are, are not overflowing from this heart of thankfulness to God. It's not coming from that place. It's, it's being choked out by thorns of things like bitterness, the thorns of things like entitlement. And then think for a moment, because technology has also brought this heat to light, even though the heat has always, or the, the, our, our heart posture has always been there. Technology is rather the heat that, that draws it out. But think, think for a moment about even excessive consumerism. It's not just bad stewardship, but it's this, this constant purchasing of things that, that has become this coping mechanism that we employ to release pleasure chemicals in our bodies because we lack thankfulness for who God is and what he's accomplished for us in the gospel. The same is true for sexual sin, right? The the hidden sin of, of pornography in our culture or the lazy mind that constantly drifts toward lustful thoughts that, that, that brings fleeting and, and counterfeit pleasure through chemical releases in a mind that's not transformed by God. At the root of it, what we lack is thankfulness to God, much like the five-year-old who doesn't have this heart of gratitude toward his mom and dad. We lack, a, uh, and we lack thankfulness, we lack gratefulness because we lack a serious consideration of the gospel and, and our state apart from Christ. We lack worship that flows from that consideration. We lack joy in the Lord. We lack happiness in the Lord. Gratitude, and I think what Romans 12 kind of begins to get at, and I'll show you why in just a minute, but gratitude is the way out. Gratitude is the way out. Happiness and joy are powerful, sanctified weapons in the hand of someone who's had a renewed mind. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by what? The mercies of God. The mercies of God. He's calling them to consider the vast mercies of God. And Paul anchors, or he hangs this charge to be transformed on that. 
He hangs it on the mercies of God. He spent 11 chapters talking about the great mercies of God. These great mercies of God that have been provided freely for us through Christ Jesus. He calls us to consider that. And, and he even demonstrates, Paul's a great practitioner, what, what this gratitude and this pleasure and this happiness in Christ look like. I think a serious consideration on, on, on the condition of our soul Apart from Christ, right, the eternity we deserve, which is hell, and and that that salvation that's been provided, it should lead us toward gratitude. The same way that that the Apostle Paul, who, when getting ready to be executed at the height of his spiritual maturity, told uh, Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. Paul lived out this heart of gratitude to the Lord. And so I want to encourage you even just this morning to, to just take a moment. When's the last time that you've considered your state apart from Christ? When's the last time you've considered your state apart from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, taking your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh? When is the last time you've pondered God's kindness and allowed that to motivate your repentance? Right? Paul commends transformation through considering the mercies of God. Transformation through the mercies of God. Next, Paul also says that transformed people are are living sacrifices to God. We know as Christians that Jesus is our high priest, and according to Hebrews 10, that he offered himself for the sins of his people, and his one sacrifice eliminated the need for any further sacrifice, and it enabled us, his church, to offer our bodies, that's our our, our whole person, our, our body and our soul, as what he calls living sacrifices. Right? Because of Christ, our high priest, we have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be the priest, to be the sacrifice, and to be the temple. In fact, that, that threefold role is implied here in our text. Paul says, he charges, he says, present your bodies. That's a, a, a priestly exercise. Through the, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, we present our bodies. And then he goes on and he says, as a living sacrifice. Because Christ died and lived, we can live, and Paul charges us to be living sacrifices that, if you're following along in your blanks, that are holy, letter A, and acceptable. B, holy and acceptable. The Apostle, Paul, or the Apostle Peter, he says something similar in 1 Peter 2. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You see that priest, temple, sacrifice language that's utilized there as well. Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We have this holy 
and kind and just and merciful and gracious triune God that saved us. Right? Before the, the, the world was made, the, the Father planned our salvation with the Spirit and with the Son. And Jesus accomplished our salvation and the Holy Spirit applied that great salvation to our lives. And the question is, how, how can we not thankfully, joyfully glorify God with our bodies? How can we not live our lives as living sacrifices? How can we not praise God for the opportunity to be living sacrifices? How could we not fulfill this charge from Paul that in light of what God's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus, we respond through this priestly and this sacrificial type function where our bodies are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. We were bought with a price. And this type of living, according to Paul, it's reasonable. This type of living is reasonable. The ESV says, which is your spiritual worship. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. But I like the way the the King James Version or the New King James Version translate it. It says, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. When we consider all that the Lord has done, this type of living that the Apostle Paul is commending, this this body as a living sacrifice type of living, it becomes reasonable. It becomes logical. It just becomes a, a natural conclusion of God's redeemed. And, 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 and it's actually absurd to live any other way. It's, sen- it's senseless. It's contradictory. It's sinful to live any other way. But, but what is it that, that, that causes us to live unreasonably, because we see so many professing Christians, right? Maybe we're one of those professing Christians that, that consistently, that habitually live just this contradictory lifestyle. We're not living in light of what God's accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. We're not living in response to this um, salvation that our kind God has provided for us. So what is it that's causing us to live this contradictory life? It's conformity to the world. Conformity to the world. Conformity to the world is the enemy of biblical transformation. And I'm not, I'm not speaking of the world cosmos. We're talking about sin. We're talking about those things that dishonor the Lord when we're using the word world in this context. And how do we conform to those passions that, that defined us before Christ saved us. How do we conform to those things? We conform through our habits. We conform through our habits. If, if one of our responses to, to hearing the Scripture is repentance, let's think just for a moment about our habits. Where do you spend your time? And I, I don't mean physical location, although it could, it could mean that as well. But, but I mean, where do you spend time in your inner person? What, what do you spend your time loving inwardly? What dominates your thoughts? What, what has your affections? What causes you anxiety? Why do you lash out in anger? Or as James, James puts it, what are your passions that are at war within you? 
right? Because we, we can't point out uh, at them out there, and we can't point to external circumstances and stand before God like Adam did with Eve and say, it was the woman you gave me, right? We, we can't blame these external things on what's going on in our hearts. What are you thinking on? What are you brooding on? What has your affections? Are, are you dominated inwardly? Because we don't need a computer. I've mentioned lust already, sexual immorality. I've mentioned pornography already, but we... Men were lusting, women were lusting far before the invention of technology. Are you dominated by sexual lust? Is this the escape that you go to in your mind? You've had this habit since you were a kid, and you've never resolved to do the hard work of renewing your mind, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Or maybe for you, it's fear of man. Every decision that you make is based on your perceived thoughts of other people, whether they will approve or disapprove, whether they will accept you or reject you. And you think so much about what others think, you're paralyzed. It paralyzes you, it cripples you, and maybe this, this comes out with how you project yourself on things like social media or how you update people about your life. Maybe money is your security. You, you always fear that there won't be enough. You're never satisfied with the amount that you have. You, you can't save enough, and, and this prohibits you from being generous. It, it hinders your, your trust in the Lord. Maybe you're lazy, which is another way of saying that you're really busy with selfish desires. Right? Any, anyone who interrupts those pursuits, those selfish desires, your husband, your wife, your children, a family member, employer, they're met with anger or frustration or, or they're seen as this obstacle to get through so that you can get back to what matters for you, which is your selfish pursuits. And, and we solidify these sinful habits that we've established because we don't have re- renewed minds. We solidify those habits that are, that, are, that are coming from within. We solidify them by what we take from the outside, what we intake from the outside through media, through books, through conversations, through social media. And, and we solidify these sinful habits also through the things that we don't take in, like Scripture, or godly community, or meditations on Christ Jesus. We see that conformity to the world is the enemy of biblical transformation. But the good news is this. There are practical ways of having our mind renewed. There's practical ways of having our mind renewed. And and I'm just going to give you a couple, and these are by no means exhaustive. But one is scripture intake. Reading, hearing, meditating, memorizing. Scripture intake is vastly important for those of us that call ourselves Christians. Take reading, for instance. Christians all throughout church history, they had this regular diet of God's Word. And and, in our time reading uh, the Scripture, in in, in this day and age, (coughs) excuse me, in this day and age, 
reading the scripture, if we were to, uh, if you were to look at some of the, the polls that are out there through Barna and other things like that, but reading scripture is one of uh, the most neglected spiritual disciplines in the lives of believers. And it's not because Christians don't believe that the scripture are the words of God, because scriptures, uh, because Christians confess that um, and, and, and at least wouldn't verbally deny that, but it's that we don't think that we need the Scripture to live. That, that, that's one of the, the issues for us. When we read, when we do decide to read the Word of God, we do it like the five-year-old who opens his Bible and pretends to read. Right? He, he's not taking in the weightiness of what he's seeing. They're just words on a page. And as they pretend, they perceive, but they don't understand they aren't moved by it. They don't grasp that the Word of God is, is food for their soul. The Apostle John in Revelation 10, verses 9-11, through he says this, So I went to the angel, and I told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I would eaten it in my stomach, when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. As I was told, you must again prophesy many people, peoples and nations and languages and kings. I, I really, I love that imagery there. And the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. But, and we get a, a, a similar picture uh, like this to, to in Ezekiel chapter 3 as well. But we see the Lord telling John and we see him telling in Ezekiel 3, the prophet Ezekiel, to eat his words as if they're the very nourishment by which they would live their life, right? To ingest the words of God, to, to take them in their inner person, to digest them, and then to get to work, get to work, ingest the words of God, then get to work. We intake the word of God on Sunday mornings. You're doing that this morning by hearing it. Right? We need to hear the Word of God each Lord's Day. And during the time of the, the Reformation in Geneva, people held such a, a high view of God that they really believed that when the Word of God was rightly divided that, um, and, and preached, that they were hearing from God Himself. They had that high of a view on the Word of God being communicated. And so much so that, that uh, they begin to do services every single day of the week, not even just on the Lord's Day, but they begin to meet every single week. But hearing God's Word is vastly important, and Christians all throughout church history have done it, but hearing God's Word requires effort on our parts. We, we can't be passive as we sit in the pew. All right, we have to anticipate the Lord's Day. That, that means that our Mondays should be uh, considerate of our Sundays. We have to commit ourselves to being attentive during the corporate service. We have to commit ourselves to prayer as we hear God's Word preached. We should be humble and receptive as we hear it. And we can even ask ourselves questions when we hear God's Word, like, how does this sermon help me savor Christ more? Should be something we're asking. What heart idols did this sermon reveal to me? What scripture or point in the sermon should I meditate on this week? How should the sermon shape my prayer life for the week? We have a team of, of people who put together sermon questions uh, for your small group to consider so that we can have the Word of God uh, wash over us and so that we can, again, be doers of the Word and not just hearers of the Word. 
Meditating and memorizing the Word is an important part of, of according to the, the psalmist, hiding God's Word in our hearts. We, we, we memorize and meditate on Scripture to, to keep our, our passions for Christ warm and, and, again, move us toward action. Another way that we have our minds renewed is through imitation. Imitation. Our culture, I think, would have us believe that, that being one of a kind is, is good. But, but in reality, it, it makes you an island. Right? The, the culture would have us strive for originality, and the Scripture speaks of imitation. Right? We see in Philippians chapter 2 that our Savior is held up for us as our example to follow. We see the Apostle Paul say things like, follow me as I follow Christ. We learn through imitation. We, the Lord can renew our minds uh, if we commit ourselves to picking out godly brothers and sisters who are further down the road than we are in our spiritual walk and, and mimic their practices, mimic their disciplines, mimic their prayers, mimic things until those things become your things. Right? We learn through imitation, and the Bible commends imitation time and time again. Practice. The last one I want to draw your attention to, practice. That's to say that, that we have to effort to establish new, thoughtful, God-centered routines. And, and those routines, over time, seep into our subconscious and they become habits. Have, have any of you uh, ever... You drive home from work every day, right? Or you drive to the grocery store every day, or you drive to school every day, whatever the case may be. And you ever find yourself kind of lost in your thoughts, right? And all of a sudden, you're at the destination and you have no recollect recollection of how you got there, which seems extremely dangerous. Um, am I the only one? Um, the, no, I, that happens to me all the time. Confession. Um, but what, what, what's happened, right? And, and, and if we take the 15-year-old that's learning how to drive, right, they check the mirror. They are making sure that, that the, uh, the rear-view mirrors are, are at the exact right place. They're, they're checking the brake. They're checking, they're checking, 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 seatbelt on check. They're having to apply a lot of effort to make that car go forward. And we get in it without thinking twice about it. And the reason why is because we've practiced it so much over time that, that it's this, at this level of subconsciousness for us. It's just second nature. It's like breathing for us. The spiritual disciplines can become that very thing as we imitate, as we practice and practice. Those things become habits for us. And I, th and I think that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. I think that's really how we begin to, to make progress in overcoming sin and overcoming temptation and savoring Christ more. We, we effort, 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 and those efforts become habits as we practice them, and they, they begin to become second nature to us. So imitation and practice and Bible intake certainly lead us to be transformed Christians that, that know and obey God's revealed will. That's your, your last blank there. 
you understand that our, our faith is practical and, and you allow serious meditation on the gospel, what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus to bring us to a place of true God-centered gratefulness, the mercies of God truly considered that motivate us to intake God's word, to flee conformity to the world, and to imitate and practice those spiritual disciplines that are these roadways to cherishing Christ more. We begin to be a people that treasure God's will. We begin to be a people that really savor God's will. We begin to be those people that are transformed by the renewal of our minds, that find pleasure in knowing God's revealed will and obeying him. That's the, the last bit here, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Some translations say you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we are thankful that you've saved us to a very practical faith. Lord, we, God, I confess that, that, Lord, I don't give enough consideration to the mercies that you've showered us with. Lord, we, we just sang about it. Our sins are many, but your mercy is more. God, that, that should provoke in us this deep gratitude Lord, that, that should... Provide movement in our faith. Movement to obey your will, God. Your revealed will, things like go and make disciples. God, your revealed will, like flee from things such as sexual immorality. So, Lord, help us to be doers of your word in light of what you've done for us in Christ. And we love you and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.